Support comes from Adelaide Interiors. Their design team can expertly manage every detail of your renovation and remodeling project from start to finish. From bathrooms to kitchens, appliances, cabinets, countertops, flooring, and coverings. More at Adelaide.com. They come to the Caribbean, and wherever they go, I mean, you have these primary source accounts where this guy's like, kill a couple pigs, but don't kill all of them. And if you don't see pigs, drop off pigs. I mean, they do it on purpose because they know that pigs will reproduce so rapidly that they will, within a decade, will produce a stable food source. I'm Delia Colon, and this is The Zest. Citrus, seafood, Spanish flavor, and southern charm. The Zest celebrates cuisine and community in the Sunshine State. Happy Thanksgiving! You may be enjoying turkey today, but for Florida's early Spanish settlers, festive meals meant pork. Lots and lots of pork. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Florida seafood gets all the hype, but look around and you'll see that many Floridians also have a fondness for pork. The Cuban sandwich layered with ham and roast pork is available everywhere from gas stations to restaurants with white tablecloths. Then there are events that celebrate pork, like the Tampa Pig Jig, not to be confused with the Plant City Pig Jam, and we challenge you to drive more than a few miles without smelling a whiff of smoke from a roadside barbecue stand. Heck, just last week, we brought you a conversation with Andrew Tambuzo, who recently bought a herd of pigs for his boozy pig butchery in Tampa. But picture a time when there was no barbecued pork in Florida, when there were no pigs at all. That was the scene more than 500 years ago. It wasn't until Spanish settlers disembarked from their ships, along with the pigs they'd brought on board, that our state's indigenous people ever laid eyes on hogs. Kevin Kokomore, Ph.D., details this history in his book, La Florida, Catholics, Conquistadors, and Other American Origin Stories. In the book's final chapter, Kokomore argues that the barbecue we know and love today traces its origins to the merging of Spanish pigs and Native American cooking methods in Florida in the 16th century. I recently spoke with Kokomore, a Florida native who teaches history at Coastal Carolina University in South Carolina. In our conversation, he discusses why Spaniards brought pigs to North America and the consequences for indigenous people. Kokomore also makes a case that Thanksgiving has its roots here in Florida. And he shares his favorite way to enjoy barbecue. I originally am from Florida, and I actually am a USF alumni. I went to USF, I got my degree and my master's in history there, and then I went to Florida State University and got a PhD in early American history there. And this is my first job out of grad school, basically. Been here ever since. Well, congrats. You've already answered my first question, which was, why is a professor in the Carolinas writing a whole book about Florida? But can you just tell me a little bit about the book? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm trained as a Native Americanist, an early Americanist. I've always had a love for Florida since I am a Floridian at heart. And 
The book essentially is about these early American Spanish threads to American history. And it starts with ideas of the first Thanksgiving and uses that to basically demonstrate how the early Southeast is actually much more complicated than most people understand. And so it's all about sort of broadcasting, showcasing these early Spanish threads. And there are connections, there are legacies that have Spanish roots in the Caribbean, there are Spanish roots in Catholicism, there are Spanish roots in colonialism. And so the book is all about sort of exposing and explaining the early Southeast. It's not entirely a product of the Spanish, but a lot of people aren't familiar that there is a Spanish threat to early American history. So what time period are we talking about? Well, it goes way back. It goes back to Columbus. It goes back to the 15th century. And there are parts of it that really talk about the context of why the Spanish would come. Spanish colonialism in the Caribbean brought Spaniards to Florida and they brought Spaniards to South Carolina. They brought Spaniards to the Southeast. So in some places, it goes all the way back to what you would call, and I'm doing air quotes here, discovery, the European, the old world, the colonial sort of discovery of North America. I know it obviously wasn't new to the natives who lived here, but we're referring to the very first times, the very first moments that colonizing powers set eyes on America coming from the Caribbean, coming from South America, coming to Florida because they thought it was part of the Caribbean. And again, I'm air quoting because there's actually two Florida periods that are Spanish. And this really covers the first one, which really goes from the 16th century to the mid-18th century. Okay, so it's a lot of, like, exploration and religion and military-type stuff. And then at what point do you say to yourself, I need a chapter on barbecue? So there's a section on legacies, and it's sort of at the end of the book, and it really highlights these things that you think of as quintessentially Florida, or at the very least, you don't consider them Spanish at all. You can see a trajectory of them through time. And if you go backwards, they have their origins in the Spanish period of exploration, colonization, conquest. These are tales of cowboy culture is an enslaved culture and native culture is a culture that isn't around in a lot of places. And so food is an excellent way to sneak in really important ideas about colonization and that allows you to talk about these bigger things that they probably didn't know. Yeah, I teach a class on foodways. It's American foodways. And we talk about all this stuff. We talk about rum. We talk about rice and tobacco, basically commodities. And we talk about barbecue. And we talk about the Colombian exchange and how you look around everything around you. Nothing looked like this 500 years ago. I teach at a university, and most of my students are 18, 19, and 20. So if there's one way to guarantee talking to students and getting their attention, you talk about booze. And if you talk about rum, They'll listen. It That's works. Fair. Man, where were these classes when I was in college? But that was decades ago. So we're here yeah, to get educated today. In the book, you're arguing that barbecue is perhaps America's first food. Explain that. Yeah, well, I also, a little tongue in cheek at the beginning of the section is that this is contentious stuff, right? This is, this goes down to, in a popular culture way, right? It goes down to like the very identity of what barbecue is best and where it comes from and who can lay claim. I, I picked up probably a dozen books while writing my chapter and one was from South Carolina and one was from North Carolina and one was from Virginia and all strenuously argued that their barbecue was the first barbecue. So these are fighting words to say that this stuff is, I, I sort of avoid all of that by saying all of the Southeast is Florida 
and Florida is Spanish, and these traditions begin here in the southeast. And they begin with the confluence of a Spanish tradition of pigs and a native tradition of smoking things. And the first time that those two meet is either in Florida or somewhere in Georgia. We don't have perfect accounts of where exactly that is, but where we see that is in the primary source record about the DeSoto Entrada. And he's somewhere around the Georgia-South Carolina line where just in passing, you have this one sentence and he cooked pigs for the natives. And you're sitting there going, well, that's not much, but you have this moment. That's got to be it. And that that is the Spanish side of things because because there were no pigs here before the Spanish. Right. And we know that. That's just Colombian exchange objective historical truth is that Europeans, colonizers brought over pigs. And we have the evidence for that. Pigs first go to the Caribbean. They take over the Caribbean. In fact, the whole barbecue tradition in the Caribbean, the whole idea of a buccaneer is a French basically pit master in the Caribbean islands because oh. that's the one thing, that's the one thing that they could rely on when there are these more or less uninhabitable Caribbean islands are just thousands of pigs everywhere. And so they would shoot pigs, smoke them. And then sell them to like passing by pirates. And that's where the term buccaneer comes from, because that's a way to roast. And so wherever these Spaniards go, they bring pigs. And that's because the Spanish have a long history pre-conquest, pre-Columbian exchange of ranching pigs. And pigs are just one of these beautiful machines of ecological conquest. And they reproduce like the plague and they have a tremendous amount of their body fat is in energy. They grow hugely fast. I mean, they are the perfect food to bring with you because they can survive on anything. You don't necessarily need to feed them. And we know the reality of this in the 21st century is that there are pigs everywhere and they are an incredible destructive ecological force. So we know that pigs are survivors and that's why Spaniards got so good at ranching them. They come to the Caribbean and wherever they go, I mean, they do it on purpose because they know that Pigs will reproduce so rapidly that they will, within a decade, will produce a stable food source. And we know that DeSoto brings pigs with him from Cuba to Florida. And there are several entries where these chroniclers basically say it's taking like dozens of cavalrymen to just corral the pigs. Because we came here with 20 pigs and now we have 300 pigs. And... They, they say in multiple times, you know, the pigs ran away or we gave the pigs away or the pigs washed away. And they list 10 different times where the pigs have escaped. What we know about pigs, they probably survived. And there you go. Right. There's why we have basically feral pigs in the southeast. So the tradition of pigs is Spanish. They bring them to colonize a place and provide food. They can depend on it. Natives have no idea what this is. This is incredibly destructive to the native world, by the way. You have natives who derive the vast majority of their calories from corn. And we know that they have to plant corn and the corn has to grow and everything that they consume is kept in dried corn, beans and squash. So you can imagine what would happen when natives that are already depleted, their populations facing demographic collapse from disease. So we know the situation is already basically apocalyptic. And then you add pigs into it. And you say, what happens when pigs run through a Mississippian community and eat all of the corn? They just destroy it. And they rip the corn out of the ground and rip the corn up. Well, whoever survived the disease is now going to die of starvation. And so we know that pigs are not 
a triumphant story. And La Florida, the book, is not a, a story of triumphalism. This is violent in a lot of ways, and it's transformative. But pigs are another example of that, because pigs, we know now in the 21st century, I mean, it's impossible to get rid of them. So you can think what kind of ecological damage they would have done 500 years ago. Wow. Yeah, we've got them in my neighborhood. Actually, a friend of a friend just got into a car accident a couple days ago trying to avoid a pig in the road or a hog, Mm -hmm. I guess. They're big and they're scary and they can be violent. They're extremely smart. And you think, well, one answer would be, well, if you're native, why don't you just eat pigs? Well, they don't know how to hunt pigs. And it's really hard to hunt pigs. We know that because it's hard in the 21st century to hunt pigs. So they are wily and they destroy everything. And so that thread of the barbecue story starts with pigs. And while that is fascinating, it's important to think about the implications of that. I mean, that is a very destructive force that comes in and totally upends the lives of the native people. get to the barbecued pork because you have the Spanish who bring the pigs and I don't know how they were cooking the meat before. And then you have the indigenous people who have these barbecue techniques, but for various reasons, don't want to eat the pigs. So how did the two converge? You think that this idea of curing meat with smoke is just universal. And it's actually an American phenomenon because there are other traditions of curing and preserving. In the Spanish tradition would be a matanza. It would be a gigantic pig roast. It would be like in these communities, you would slaughter a pig, but it would be part of the community and the whole community would feast on the pig until there was no pig left. Think just like a big potluck. That's the way that went. So pigs would be slaughtered and eaten in one day. And every community would have people who over time would donate the pigs to the community. So once a month, it would be your pig. And that's the way that the pig roast tradition is Spanish. But the way that they would, they're used to using salt. They're used to using different techniques. Now, wherever Spaniards go, and Ovidio Valdez says this in like the early 16th century, wherever you go in the Caribbean, wherever you go in Florida, in the Carolinas, in Texas, the first thing that Spaniards see are natives curing animals over smoke. They cook them on wooden grates called barbacoas. And that's where the term barbecue comes from, is from this scaffolding that they use. The term doesn't even come from the act of cooking. It comes from the instrument upon which you cook, right? So we have the term barbacoa used all the time in the Southeast. They use it to store things off the ground. They use it to store corn. They use it to sleep on. A barbacoa is a raised wooden scaffolding. Ah. But if you're roasting slowly, so you can't use that as a grill. So we're not talking about just grilling fish or grilling alligator or whatever you would be doing in the southeast you can't use that over a wood grate for obvious reasons because it would burn up the grate but what you're doing is you are preserving it using smoke and you're setting it high up to where the wood grate is not burning if that makes sense and everywhere spaniards go and i really mean basically everywhere in the circum caribbean the first thing they see is spaniards smoking fish and smoking animals over fires on barbacoas That is a uniquely 
Circum-Caribbean, Taino, Arawak, Calusa, Tamuqua. I mean, it's definitely regional. I mean, even in the 21st century, right, we're Floridians. We know what smoked mullet is. It's processed the same way now that it was processed a thousand years ago, right? You smoke the mullet over heat, but not high heat, because you're looking to dry out the fish. You're looking to cure the fish. And that's how you keep something stable without refrigeration. That's their technique. So you mentioned fish and alligator. What else would the natives have been eating before pork came on the scene? I don't know why alligator popped in my mind, except that we were thinking about coastal Florida, and we know that does happen. But we know fish is going to be huge. If you're in a coastal community, that's probably going to be the number one food stuff that you can rely on. There's a time when the mullet run. And when the mullet run, you would net as many as you possibly could. You would salt, you would air cure, you would smoke. And that would be something that you would rely on throughout the year. And then there would be a time for you to cook and for you to grow corned beans and squash. And so the fishing and the smoking fits into this model of a woodland way of living. Uh, and that is living knowing Every little nook and cranny of the environment, knowing the seasons, knowing how the place that you live works and exploiting that throughout the seasons. How do we know that no one else was curing meat in this way anywhere else in the world, Europe, Asia, Africa? Like I can understand pigs were not here until the Spanish brought them here. But how do we know people weren't barbecuing in other parts of the world? If you go to the Pacific Northwest and you would look at the way that natives cure salmon in the Pacific Northwest, this is something that is pretty universal, I would imagine. I'm not making the argument that only natives of the Caribbean ever use smoke to cure, but we do know that Spanish didn't do that. The Spanish didn't do that. And so if we're making the argument that barbecue is this unique American confluence of all these African-American, Afro-Caribbean, European, Spanish native, and that's what makes it so unique, then it does have this native thread. There might be other places in the Far East or where natives use smoke to cure, but we know that that surprised the European groups when they come here. And it's not just the Spanish. We have these John White water prints of the Outer Banks. And you know what one of his water prints of the Outer Banks is? Native smoking fish. It absolutely surprises and, uh, I mean, they're not necessarily impressed by it. Obviously, it's of native origin, so they think it's barbaric. This is the way that natives do it, and this is the way that poor people do it, and this is associated with slavery. So in that way, it reinforces this is not the way you do it because you're civilized. And so this is something that almost every Spaniard makes note of. It's something that almost every Englishman makes note of. When they arrive anywhere and see natives smoking fish, it is something completely novel to them. A few years ago, we had a historian, Andrew Batten, on the podcast, and he argued that Florida is the birthplace of fusion cuisine because you have European, Native, and West African culinary traditions coming together in things like stews. Did the Native Americans eventually adopt the idea of eating pork, or was it just the Spanish adopting the Native technique for cooking pork? So what would become... Those native peoples previous to Cherokees, Choctaws, Chickasaws, but also those people in the, those groups in the 18th and 19th century, they don't believe in land ownership. They don't fence land in. And so that really is a system that if they were lucky enough to kill a pig, I'm sure that they would, but they don't ranch in the same way that you would have to ranch pigs. Because if you're not, if you're not pinning pigs in, 
And, and if, and if they start to develop this feral attitude, I mean, they are hard to kill and natives still live in a very seasonal way of living all the way up until the 19th century, the early 19th century. And their lives still revolve heavily around agriculture white-tailed deer, bear, stuff like that. You don't see a huge reliance on pigs until Europeans, Americans come in and tell them, I'm using air quotes, civilized Southerners farm pigs and they use private property. Before that, there just wasn't the cultural, they just didn't do that. That's just not the way they saw their place on the land. I don't know if your research got into Thanksgiving, but I think you alluded to Thanksgiving. Do you Mm -hmm. think the first Thanksgiving was in Florida? And if so, what do you think they served? Yeah, actually, I would make the argument that absolutely, positively, the first Thanksgiving was in 1565 in St. Augustine. And we have records for that, right? We say Pedro Menendez de Avilas fed the Indians, the natives brought food, he brought food. And so that was a feast of Thanksgiving. They were giving thanks. And they were very clear about that. I, I write in the book that the reason they were giving thanks is awful, but they were giving thanks. And we don't know a whole lot about Thanksgiving in New England. It's only a few lines where Bradford and Winslow talk about it. We basically have made up the rest. We know very little about the Spanish Thanksgiving in Florida. We can assume that if they brought food, it would have been fish and white-tailed deer and turkey and bear and stuff like that. Now, if you're talking about what the Spaniards would have brought, they had just been on a ship for six months. So what they would have brought is dried beans, dried pork. They would have made what we would call... Spanish bean soup down in Tampa would probably be the first Thanksgiving. Wine, they would have drank a lot of wine because they would have had mass. They would have ate biscuits. So it would have been very different. It would have been like not something that you would have assumed would have been a Thanksgiving feast. But that actually gets to the heart of the book. It's like, well, why don't people think that's it? Because it is. That is it. Because we know that's historically accurate. The real reason is why that doesn't convince people. That should replace the Thanksgiving that they think of as the first Thanksgiving. Why do you think that is? Why does it matter who invented barbecue or who ate what at the first Thanksgiving? Yeah, well, again, and I, I want to walk carefully when I answer this because I don't want to make it out to seem like the Spanish are this awesome group and that everything they did was awesome because this book is filled with all sorts of atrocities. And just because they were closed-minded Catholics instead of uh, closed-minded Protestants, I guess you could say. But I guess that goes right down to the core of the argument is that we have this idea that this nation is a Protestant nation. It's uh, the, the first Thanksgiving story is this happy story where everyone's holding hands and, you know, all of the values that come from that, all of the values that become American come from the English. I mean, that's just sort of common. And the point of La Florida is to say that, no, there's lots of groups that created American identity. And, Even if you look at the first Thanksgiving, it didn't happen the way you say it happened. But the point is, there were probably many first Thanksgivings. Anywhere Europeans went, they would have given thanks when they landed. And so if you think about what is the first one, well, it's probably Spanish. And a lot of people are surprised by that because they don't think that there is a Spanish thread to American history. That's wild to me. Okay, you said something about how the reason why they were giving thanks wasn't a good reason or something like that. Can you say yeah, more about well, that? Yeah, well, I mean, they just murdered 300, 400. We don't even know exactly how many. But, you know, the Spanish weren't actually the first to North America. The French actually got to Jacksonville before the Spanish got to St. Augustine. And they actually got to South Carolina. They got to Port Royal even before that. They gave up on Port Royal 
and moved into Fort Caroline in Jacksonville. And St. Augustine is only there because King Philip II sends Pedro Menendez de Aviles. He says, go there, establish St. Augustine, and kill all these French Protestants. And he does exactly that. I mean, he hunts them down like animals and kills them on the beach, kills them in their fort, kills them in their sleep. I mean, it's just one massacre after another. And you know what he does after every one of these massacres? He gives thanks. He gives thanks. There are four feast days of Thanksgiving, and because that's how the Spanish do it. They name them after the feast day on the Catholic calendar, right? And so there are four. There's The first one is we made it across the Atlantic. We should give thanks. That's pretty straightforward. The second, we founded St. Augustine, and I think that's the feast day of St. Augustine, so we should give thanks. And then the third and fourth are like, well, we sent all of the heretical Protestants back to hell, which is where they deserve to be. And that's more or less the third and the fourth one. So you're like, wow, okay, that's horrible, right? And the bells are ringing. The Catholic priest is there giving thanks. And that shows a totally different perspective on the whole event. Wow, my mouth has been open like half the time you've been talking. I could talk to you all day, but people can find out more in the book. I got to ask you about barbecue. What's your favorite way to enjoy barbecue? Or can you still enjoy it after writing this book? Well, so an intro to a chapter is about smoked mullet, and man, I do love smoked mullet, and it's fantastic here. We do it here, but if I was to say my wife enjoys pulled pork, and so she would be a Carolinian or North Carolina barbecuer, I enjoy ribs, and so I would probably be a Kansas City or St. Louis barbecuer, but I've named a whole bunch of barbecues that are still pork-based, and so that's all the Florida barbecue, as I would argue it, but she loves a good pulled pork sandwich. I love ribs. And we can't even see eye to eye on that. So (laughs) house divided. (laughs) Exactly. Well, if that's your biggest marriage problem, then you're doing pretty great. Is there anything else you want us to know about the book La Florida, Catholics, Conquistadors and other American origin stories? No, it's barbecue. It is one of the lighthearted sides of it. But again, it really is just an attempt to sort of open people's eyes. I love teaching about the complexity of early America and all the different groups that sort of made this place what it was. And this is an excellent example of that. It is supposed to broaden people's ideas about the founding moments, the founding ideas, and this complicated, mixed, crazy heritage that is American history. That's sort of the idea of the book. I I hope people get that when they read it. Well, you said it at the start of this conversation that food is a gateway to talking about so many other topics. I had no idea where this would go, but it was fascinating. So thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. Kevin Kokomore, Ph.D., is the author of La Florida, Catholics, Conquistadors, and Other American Origin Stories. You'll find a link to the book on our website, thezestpodcast.com. I'm Dalia Colon. I produce The Zest with Andrew Lucas. Our social media and web guru is Alexandria Ebron. We'll be taking some time off for the holidays and cooking up some episodes for the new year, including a series we're calling Couples in the Kitchen, just in time for Valentine's Day. We wish you all a safe and happy holiday season. The Zest is a production of WUSF Public Media, copyright 2023, part of the NPR Network.